Verse 10, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is, here's the text, there is no salvation. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus and seeing the man who, would, who had been healed standing with them. They had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to go aside out of the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. The Christian religion is the most narrow-minded of all. And the Bible is the most narrow-minded book that's ever been written. And verse 12 is the most narrow-minded verse in the Scripture. And I suppose that the people who preach and teach the Bible, this narrow-minded book, are called narrow-minded. I've been called that, and I, I suppose every preacher has, every teacher, every theologian, these narrow-minded people. But that may be to our glory. And what started out to be a low insult has become a high compliment. Because the reason why the Christian religion is the most narrow-minded and the Bible is a narrow-minded book is because truth is narrow-minded. Now, the mathematician tells us 2 plus 2 equals 4. doesn't equal anything else but 4. Ever heard a mathematician called narrow-minded? I can just hear somebody saying, it's pretty ludicrous. Well, I just don't like mathematicians because they're too narrow-minded. They tell me that I have to believe 2 plus 2 equals 4. And the mathematician says, well, now, I don't want to be called narrow-minded, so have it your way. It may not be 2 plus 2 is 4. Have you ever heard a scientist called narrow-minded? And the scientist says, I believe in the law of gravity. In layman terms, that means what goes up must come down. And you say, well, that's pretty narrow-minded. I, I just don't know whether I believe that or not. So the scientist says, okay, have it your way. Maybe it doesn't mean that everything that goes up must come down. Get up on top of the building this morning and start walking west. It may or may not be that you're going to smash yourself down on the pavement. That's absolutely ludicrous. And Jesus was a narrow-minded man. 
In fact, he made this statement about himself, pretty narrow-minded statement. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And the Apostle Paul was narrow-minded when he said, There is one God and one mediator between man and God, Jesus Christ the righteous. So I've come this morning on this, um, the beginning of this uh, mission emphasis that we're having in our church and Christmas, etc., to speak on a narrow-minded gospel preached in a narrow-minded way. And really, this is not just an annual uh, missions event. Really, I want to encourage you to take and share Jesus every day that you live. Now, I've heard people say from time to time that, that there are two things that nobody ought to talk to somebody else about, that they're none of our business, and that's religion and politics. Now, I'm not, I'm not so sure about Well, maybe politics. Whoever you vote for, that's your business. I can remember in the eighth grade, we had a mock presidential election. And, and after the presidential election in our class, somebody asked our teacher, who was pretty, pretty mean, anyway, said, Ms. Bardwell, who'd you vote for? Her eyes flashed with fire and she said, that's none of your business. Don't ever ask anybody who they voted for. Well, who you vote for is your business. But on whom you rely to take you to heaven is my business. It's as much my business as if I knew that there was a bridge out to stand on the road and warn you. It is as much my business as it is my business as a watchman to stand on the tower and announce the coming of the enemy. Trumpets blasting, you see. That is our business. For every revelation of God was local in its beginning, but was meant to be universal. He was born in Bethlehem. He was crucified in Jerusalem. But that revelation was not meant to be left in Bethlehem and Jerusalem. It was ticketed for the world. And when He came the first time, He didn't come revealed to the masses. When He comes the second time, the Scripture says, He'll come in the clouds with holy angels, and every eye shall see Him. But how silently, how silently that wondrous gift was given in a little manger in Bethlehem. Very few people saw it, and very few people saw Him as he walked with twelve men, and sometimes with an inner circle of three, this local revelation of God in Christ was never meant to stay that way. It was meant for the world through human instrumentality. And that's why you and I have been saved. So if you don't believe in evangelism or sharing Jesus, you say, well, of course I believe in that. No, what you believe, you practice. And all the rest is religious talk. If you don't believe in sharing Jesus... If you don't believe in evangelism or missions, it's because you have a deceptive gospel or a deceptive conversion. You do not understand the gospel or you have not experienced conversion. So I'm not embarrassed this morning when I come to urge you to share Jesus with a lost world in a narrow-minded way. And there are three reasons why everybody ought to share Christ in a narrow-minded way. First, Because the salvation of all men, the salvation of all mankind is imperative. I want you to look again at that verse 12, the little word must. You've heard that word before. Jesus used that word in His midnight conversation with Nicodemus. And He said, you must be born again. It's a word that means absolute imperative, moral imperative, moral essential. 
It is absolutely morally imperative that you are born again. I've heard people say about certain folks, they're good moral people, they're just not Christians. In a biblical sense, that is not possible. For the quintessential element of life, moral life, is salvation. And it is absolutely imperative that a man is saved or he cannot be moral. It's the moral imperative. Um, That's true for two reasons. It's true because of the righteousness of God. God is a righteous and holy God. Early this morning I read Habakkuk 1.13 again. It says, Thou art of purer eyes than to approve evil, and canst not look upon wickedness. What he was saying is this, that God is so holy, He cannot even look upon sin. Now if that is true, if God is holy and righteous and pure, so pure that His eyes cannot even look upon sin. How can I have fellowship with God and I'm unrighteous and I'm unholy? That's the question the prophet asked when he cried, How shall two walk together except they be agreed? That's the key. Agreed. You've heard that word before. First John 1 John 1.7 says, If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Everybody in here knows that word confess there means to agree with God. It means that I take the same approach toward my sin as God does. It means I feel the same way about my sin as God feels about it. And Paul says in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that means that word is agree again. It means that I agree with God that Jesus is Lord so that I take the same approach toward my sin as God does. And I agree that God has given Jesus as Lord and Savior. So you say, well, I'm going to go out and I will. I'll go out and do the best I know how. How many of you have always done the best you know how? I'm going to have a show of hands in a minute. But before I do that, let me remind you, your spouse is sitting next to you. Your kids are here. Your parents are here. The guy across the aisle, no, he's seen you. Now let me ask you, what brave soul this morning has always done the best he knows how? Nobody's done the best he knows how. Except one man other than Jesus. His name was Paul, he said. Now with regard to the law, I am blameless. I've always done the best I know how. And yet he said, I have counted that righteousness as garbage As garbage, I've jettisoned that righteousness. Why? In order that I might stand in the righteousness of Christ. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. The righteousness of God and the responsibility of man makes salvation imperative. Now the question invariably comes, what about the person in the dark of Africa who's never heard the gospel? He's never even heard about Jesus. What about those people in the Middle East that study and they're deeply religious and they have their God and they're sincere? What about the people who have never heard of Jesus? That question invariably comes. I want to I read to you a verse of Scripture. It's in the first chapter of the book of Romans. You have to listen to it carefully. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. He's talking about people who've never heard the gospel, never heard about Jesus. 
For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. The responsibility of man is that that he gets saved. Why is it necessary to share Jesus? Because the salvation of all men is imperative. Secondly, because the Savior of all men is indispensable. Now, did you hear what he said? He said, "There there is salvation in no other. For there is only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. And that is Jesus only. Let me tell you something, folks. Jesus has a monopoly on salvation. If you get salvation, you have to get it through Him. That means that attendance, uh, acceptance in an organization, that means enrollment in an institution doesn't bring forgiveness of sin. That means that adherence to a creed does not give eternal life. If a person is saved, it's because of his relationship to Jesus Christ alone. The uniqueness of Jesus is, is that He is Savior. The uniqueness of Jesus is that He is Savior. And a person who has not dealt with Jesus as Savior has not dealt adequately with Jesus. Bishop McDowell, who at one time was a Roman Catholic bishop in the city of Chicago, sounded like a Baptist evangelist when he said, We are saved by a person, and we are only saved by a person... And as far as I can tell, we're saved by only one person. Myron Madden said, We have two options. Man can either accept the atonement that God makes available through Jesus Christ, or he has to enact an atonement of his own. In other words, he's saying that a person can let Jesus pay for his sins, or he can pay for them himself. The only way to be saved is through Jesus. I heard about a a man in the second century who began a quest for God, and so he went to the Stoic philosophers and asked, how can I have knowledge of God? The philosopher said, it's not possible. Knowledge of God is not obtainable. Your search is in vain. He went to a radical philosopher, and he required, he was so mercenary, he required a payment of him. He couldn't pay, and his search for God was futile. And one day, walking down a road, he met an unnamed man, and he stopped this man. This guy said, I'm in quest of God. Can you tell me how I can know God? And the man introduced him to Jesus and said, Justin Martyr, the quest ended on that road, for straightway a flame was kindled in my heart. I know a soul that is steeped in sin, that no man's art can cure, but I know a name, a name, that can make that soul pure. I know of lives that are lost to God, bowed down by the things of earth, but I know a name that can give that life new birth. I know of lands that are sunk in shame, of hearts that faint and tire, but I know a name, a name, that can set those lands on fire. And the New Testament calls that name, Jesus, O Kurios, Jesus Christ, the Lord. It all begins with Him. E. Stanley Jones has written a book called Song of Ascent. 
E. Stanley Jones was this marvelous missionary to India. He was a friend of Gandhi and other world leaders. He was a world traveler and preacher. He wrote three autobiographies. The first two he didn't allow to be published. He was 83 years old when he wrote the autobiography that was published, and he gave the reasons why the first two were not. He said, the first one, in the first one, I talked about the events of my life that are really not worth talking about. He said, in the second one, I talked too much about the problems with reference to my own life. But he said, at the third one, are you listening? He said, at the third autobiography, I began where I should have started all along, with the event. For he said, Jesus Christ has been and always will be the one event of my life. He's like the guy, he said, he's like the guy in Africa who, who received Christ into his life and after he was, became a Christian, he changed his name to after. He called himself after. Because he said, it wasn't until I found Christ that I began to live so that everything started after him. Said E. Stanley Jones, I started in the first two biographies, autobiographies. One of them was 587 pages long. He said, I started with events and tried to move to the event. And the third one, I started with the event. And I moved from there. Jesus Christ is the event. Everything happens after Him. I suppose in summary it means this. It means to find Jesus is to give up one's life in order that He might live. It's to, it's to die to self that He might live in you. It's to give up your liberty that He might be free in the world. It's to sell everything that He might have everything. It's what Paul meant when he said, I'm crucified with Christ, yet it is not I who lives, but Christ lives within me. Sounds like a dull life, doesn't it? It, it isn't. It's the richest life you'll ever live. It's the life for which every one of us were created. It's what Kagawa was talking about, this Japanese man, who probably the, probably the most saintly man of this century, gave up everything to care for the people in the slums. And when he found Christ, this is how he put it. He said, Mount Fuji and the Japanese Alps are but furrows on my brow. The Pacific and the Atlantic are the robes that I wear. The world makes up part of my footstool. I hold a solar system in the palm of my hand and I stretch the stars out across the heavens because God has given me all of creation. He threw all that in when He gave me Jesus. And that's what Gert Bahana meant, this alcoholic, married five times, hopeless alcoholic. She said, I got down on my knees, the shell of a woman empty. When I got up, I was the temple of God filled with Jesus. It's Him. It's Him. No life apart from Him. No salvation other than Him. No eternal life away from Him. He's indispensable. One last thought. We need to be sharing the gospel in a narrow-minded way because the silence of man is impossible. And so they told Peter and John, now you need to keep quiet. Keep, shut your mouth and don't talk. And they said, we can't. I heard about an old farmer down in Georgia. He, he picked up the Capper's Farmer, the monthly farm journal, and he noticed an ad in the back of it for a CEO, except the only problem was that, that you had to have three PhDs, speak five languages, and have written as least, at least six books. So he, he looked at that and he thought, wow. He put on his 
best overalls, his old flannel shirt, and his brogans, and he caught a Greyhound bus for New York City. He went to the 39th floor of the high-rise office building in downtown Manhattan, past the stairs of the gawkers, and he walked into the room and had the address on it. He said, you the folks that are hiring the CEO? We are, they said, looking him over. He said, is it true you have to have three PhDs, speak five languages, and have written at least six books? They said it is. He said, I just came to tell you, don't count on me. <laughs> now, now, you'd never say that, would you? You'd never say that to God verbally. But that's what you say with your life. Listen to me carefully. That's what you say with your silence. You know what you're saying to God? You're saying this. Don't count on me. I'm unprepared and the task is too great for me. I can't do it. I can't speak. Don't count on me. And a little boy came rushing into his teacher's room and he said, Teacher, come quickly. There are two boys out on the playground fighting and the one on the bottom would like to see you. I bet he would. <laughs> I tell you, there's some boys, there's some people who are at the bottom of life and they'd like to see you. They'd like to hear from you. They'd like to know the gospel. Can they count on you? No, they can't. Now the silence of man is impossible for two reasons. Because of an inner compulsion and an outer command. This inner compulsion that burns like a fire to share Jesus comes from an unforgettable experience. And this is what Peter and John meant when they said, We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now the interesting thing about that is that it is in linear action. It's an imperfect, transla- imperfect uh, uh, case in the, in the Greek language. It means that we can't but speak that which we are seeing and that which we are hearing. See, listen to me carefully. So John wrote an epistle and he started out like this, that which was from beginning that which we have seen with our eyes and are still seeing, that which we heard with our ears and are still hearing, that which we touched with our hands and are still feeling, we declare to you. I want to tell you what he said. He's saying we saw him, but we've never ceased seeing him. Everywhere we look, we see him. And we heard Him with our ears. But while we speak and write this, His words are still ringing in our ears. And we felt His hand of blessing on our heads. But we still feel it as though it were on it today. And we felt His arm of encouragement around our shoulders. And it's as though it were there now. What we saw, what we heard, what we felt, we're still feeling and seeing hearing. Let me ask you something. Isn't it possible that the reason why you are not sharing Jesus is because that experience you had with Him has grown cold. And the impossibility of it is based upon the command of Jesus. For Peter and John said, if it's all right, if it's right for us to obey God rather than you, you be the judge. Now what did the world, what does the world say? The world says, keep silent. The world says, don't be a fanatic. Don't be narrow-minded. You'll look stupid. Don't share Jesus. Don't give you money. You've got other places to spend it. Somebody will rip you off. The world says, keep silent. What does Jesus say? He says what that says. 
He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The amazing thing about that statement is that actually what, how it's translated in the, in, in, the, in the linear tense is, As you go. Now we think the way you get people to go share the gospel with the world is to have an altar call or a mission service. Get people down here at the front, promise they'll go do that. And if you can hold on and don't go down the front and make some rash decision, if you can just get out of there without making some foolish decision, you're safe. That's not what it's about. What Jesus is saying is this, that since you're going as a Christian anyway... I heard a preacher say when he was a kid growing up down in Mississippi or Alabama, somewhere down there, where they talk funny. He said, my preacher translate, translate like this. He said, beings, bins is how you're going anyway. Bins? My daddy used to say that. Bins? Young people? Bins is you're going to be in school tomorrow anyway. You might as well just share the gospel while you're there. Adults, bins, you're going to be out there in the world anyway. You might just tell people about Jesus while you're there. Bins, you're going to be at the hospital tomorrow. Bins, you're going to be at the, at the mill tomorrow. Bins, you're going to be at the shop tomorrow. Bins, you're there already. See? Now let me ask you the question. Should you obey man, the world, or should you obey God? You answer that question. If Jesus tells you since you're going to be there anyway, you need to share the gospel while you're there, who are you supposed to obey? Amen. How you like that? Was that a voice from heaven? Kind of, kind, of a, kind of a quiet little voice from heaven. I've seen it all now. I'm a, I, that's great. That's great. C.T. Studd said some people want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And a missionary finished his slide presentation of the mission field. And the last slide was the slide of a little boy with his nose pressed against the window of a bakery. Had bakery over the window. His nose was pressed. He's looking at those cinnamon rolls in there. Those hot biscuits and chocolate chip, double chocolate chip cookies. That'll make you ready for lunch. And his nose was pressed against the window. He held that on there for a long time for, for effect. Then the missionary turned off the projector and said, Could I have the lights, please? And announced, Well, that's the end of the presentation. Are there any questions? The little boy lift his hand and ask. Yes, sir, he said, I have a question. What did you do about the little boy? And all of a sudden, it dawned on the missionary that he took a picture of his hunger, but he didn't do anything about it. My question to you is this morning, what are you going to do about the hunger of this world that's deeper than any physical hunger. What are you going to do about it? My question to you this morning is this. What are you going to do about that little boy on the bottom of life? 
or that aged adult or that middle-aged man who's on the bottom of life. Ben, you're going to be out there. You might as well make a commitment that you're going to share Jesus because they need to be saved and He's the only way they can be saved. Let's pray. Father, we come to this moment aware that we have a decision to make concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Narrow-minded gospel, but a narrow-minded commitment to be made. God, I pray that you'll show us that we have no option, no alternative, no other way. Because I pray in Jesus' name. There are three invitations. When I gave the invitation this morning in the first service, two young boys came to receive Christ, came to the point of the event, so that everything now are just events that relate to that one event. Isn't that marvelous thought? I want you to come this morning if you've never confessed agreed with God concerning your sin and agreed with God concerning His Savior that you will come to that place this morning where you could do that. I need to be saved and I know I can't do it. There's only one way and that's through my faith in Jesus Christ. Come to Him today. Perhaps you need to come this morning to unite with our church or you just need to come because you feel like that person who felt, I've shown pictures of the hunger, but I haven't done anything about it. I want to be counted on. So when we sing, we'll need, we, you'll want to come on the first, on the very first word because we don't hang around here long just to hang around. So you, you come on the first word while we stand to sing.